0: Do you suppose I still have sons in my womb who can uh, become your future husbands? Go back, dear daughters. Go back. On your way, please. I'm too old to get a husband. Why, even if I said there's still hope, and this very night I got a husband and had sons, can you imagine being satisfied to wait until they were grown? Would you wait that long to get married again? No, dear daughters, no. This is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter for me than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. And the Scripture says again, they cried openly. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. With Orpah headed home, we are left with Ruth. What would Ruth choose? What would she do? Would she choose her own people, the Moabites, and their God, Chemosh? Or would she choose to go with her mother-in-law into the unknown? Let's pick up this morning in the story and see where it leads us as we read Ruth chapter 1, 14 through 18. Hear the word of the Lord. At the very end of verse 14, catch the words, And Ruth clung to her. And she, Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her God's return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, No, do not urge me to leave your return from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I die, and there I will be buried." May the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death departs me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. May it be an encouragement, an encouragement to reflect and to consider The love that we see here in this passage, and the love that you have for us, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes we see a glimpse, don't we? A a glimpse of holy love that is just amazing. And and that's what we see here in this passage, a a glimpse of of love and grace, of loyal love. And and that loyal love here is is at the center of the whole passage of our text today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to unfold it, we're going to try to understand it, and then we're going to embrace it as God's children for our good. So the first thing we're going to see is loyal love unfolded in commitment. We'll see Ruth's commitment. The second thing we're going to see is loyal love unfolded in confession. We'll hear a strong confession from Ruth. And also we'll see loyal love unfolded in great cost. We'll consider for a moment the cost that Ruth pays as she follows her mother-in-law and the Lord. So first of all, look at a loyal love unfolded in commitment. After Naomi begs, again, for her daughters-in-law to return to her people and her gods, Ruth, utters some of the most amazing words in all Scripture. Uh, Sometimes these words are even used in a marriage ceremony. And as we unfold it, you see why. She begins with this. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Naomi's speeches as she gave them, as we just went through them again as a review, and they came out of nowhere, and in each sequence they increased in intensity. She, she really was pressing her daughters to go home. And, and we looked in the text last week, and we see that it's mostly because she just loves them, and she sees what is before them. But Ruth, as she's hearing these words, she feels the pain. The pain of hurt and a strong pleas from her mother-in-law. And so in that pain, um, the language expresses the release of intensity back at Naomi. Very strongly she comes back in the Hebrew text. And it's like she's saying, stop pressuring me. Stop it. Do not urge me to turn around from following you. To return to her own land, to return to her own people and their gods might be the most natural response for her. It might be the most familiar, the most visible, but it would mean abandoning her mother-in-law. Darrell surmises that the strong use of the Hebrew word herhazabek Uh, which means to leave, to forsake, or abandon, suggests that even at this early stage in the text, Ruth felt obligated for Naomi's sake to accompany her. It was her duty. It was her destiny, if you put it that way. Look at the rest of her beautiful language of commitment. For where you go, I will go. In other words, if you're going back to Judah, if you're going back to the land of bread, I'm going with you. You can't hold me back. I'm going with you. Where you lodge, I will lodge. In other words, if you're going to stay at the Motel 6, I'm staying at the Motel 6. Now I'm telling you, I've been married for a long time, and I think that's where my wife draws a line. If you stay at a Motel 6, I'm driving down the road somewhere else. But not Ruth to Naomi here. Your people shall be my people. The Israelites will be my people. Not the Moabites. Not any longer. I'm going with you to the Israelites. They're going to be my people now. She says, and your God and my God. We'll look deeper at that in just a second in our second point. Look what else she says. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. This is so incredible here. This is no temporary obligation until the mother-in-law dies off. Until she dies off and is put in a grave. I'm going to stay with her. But as soon as that's over, I'm headed back. No, that's not what she says here. Do you see the commitment? She is saying, I intend to stay with you until you die, and then I'm staying in that adopted land, the homeland that I'm going to adopt, all of my life until I am placed in the grave beside you. Finally, she displays her commitment in a most serious manner. She swears an oath in Yahweh's name, May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Do you see what she's saying here in the Solomon She is calling on the Lord to hold her to these vows by penalty of death. And that's exactly what they are here. She is bowing to Naomi before the Lord. I will follow you on your journey, on, at your home, and your people, and your future. They are mine as well, I swear, by the name of Yahweh. If you look back in the text to verse fourteen, we read the very end of it. After Orpah left uh, Naomi, and there's a there's a there's a in Hebrew, it's very contrasting. There, it's meant to show a contrast between what Orpah did and what Ruth did. But Ruth clung to Naomi, and that word "cling" here that the word here is, is a word that means firm, loyal, deep, intimate love. It is the same word that is used in Genesis 2.24 to, to talk about marriage. Also in Genesis 34.3, Joshua 13.12, when a husband leaves his family and clings to his wife, when a wife leaves her family and clings to her husband, it's the same word here. It required leaving membership in one group, group to, to, to join another. And so Ruth displays here this deep, Very intimate commitment that flows from her loyal love to Naomi. It's pretty interesting, isn't it, to love your mother in law that much? And she does. I have wondered as I studied this text what would cause such loyal love? What's behind the scenes here? Have you ever had that type of love for someone? Why? Uh, Might it be because of a great love given to you undeservedly? Or perhaps it was because of a deep-rooted faith displayed by another that in turn exuded this, this incredible kindness and graceful love to you. In Les Mis, Victor Hugo writes of Jean Valjean, his only crime was the theft of a loaf of bread to feed his sister's starving children. So after serving 19 years, he was released from the galleys. Unable to find work because he had been a convict, he came to the home of a good old bishop who kindly gave him his supper and a bed for the night. But Jean Valjean was tempted. And so yielding to temptation, he stole the bishop's silver plates. And he slipped out and soon was caught by the police. He was brought back to the home. And the kind bishop looked at the police and looked at him and said, Why? I gave those to him. And Jean, you forgot to take the candlesticks. And he handed him the candlesticks. If you know the story, Jean Valjean was so astonished at such kindness that this brought about his salvation. A little deed of kindness can turn a sinner to the Savior. Does your life reflect the Savior's great love? Does it reflect His great love for other sinners? How might your faith and love for God have an impact upon others as you live it out. Whatever the case may be behind the scenes in this story, one thing is for sure, Ruth's commitment to Naomi went further and and further even in confession to Naomi's God. Uh, Let's look at our second point, loyal love unfolded in confession At the heart of her declaration was a commitment to Naomi's God. It's it's very clear here. There must be no misunderstanding. Uh, the, The words were not a mere commitment to Naomi. They were a commitment to Yahweh. Look at the end of verse 16 again. What does it say there? Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. What does that make you think of? This is the central phrase, and it's not by accident. There's a central phrase here in this text that is the focal point of it. And these beautiful words in Ruth 16 through 17, the central phrase here brings something to mind. Dr. Ferguson sizes it up for us. This is what he says. If you're familiar with the language of the Old Testament, these words ring bells in your memory. Even if you're not quite certain why, They seem so familiar. Where have you heard or read them before? When God made His covenant with His people, He said, I will be your God, and you shall be my people. We see this in Leviticus 26.12, Genesis 17, 7-8, Exodus 6-7. Those are the words with which God committed Himself to saving these people. What Ruth is saying in response to Naomi then is this. This God who made His covenant with Abraham, who brought His people out of the land of Egypt in the Exodus, who has promised to provide with us a great salvation and grace. And Naomi said, she's saying this to Naomi, Naomi, this God that I have heard about, that I have seen in you, is the God that I follow. Your God will be my God. What's the most interesting thing here in the passage, and I hope you've caught it as we've read it, is the fact that Naomi is exceedingly bitter in her thoughts right now in this whole whole part of the text. She's very bitter in her thoughts. We'll see more about that next week because the hand of the Lord has gone out against her. And it's interesting because the Lord is obviously using the faith of Ruth to challenge Naomi. Naomi. So Ruth here is now being the challenger to the one who, who, who maybe has received faith by watching the life of Naomi. Um, and her Ruth is showing her kindness and loyal love despite even her bitter faith. It's interesting because as they say, the Lord always uses crooked sticks to draw straight lines. And he does. So as we have seen the choice of Orpah last week and of Ruth today, we marvel. We marvel because there's a glorious mystery here in all of it. God in His grace uses this wayward family, uh, particularly Naomi, to bring one from Moab into covenant relationship with Him. Was it the discussions during their Sabbath rest? Was it the kindness of Naomi as compared to the other women in Moab? Was it the talk of the great works of God that Naomi would remind uh, these wives and her boys of while remembering the Passover? Maybe the other feasts and festival days that they would have known. Or maybe it was the prayers that Ruth heard in the middle of the night as she cried out in mourning to her God. We don't know. We're simply not told. We don't know the behind the scenes of these second causes. But listen to me. Somewhere along the way, in Naomi's heart, God was working. He was wooing her. He was calling her. He chose her. He simply called her and chose her first. Listen to what Deuteronomy 7 6 through 8 says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. The amazing truth in God's saving election is that the Lord sets his love on those he chooses to love. Simply because he loves them. The same is said of you. He loves you because He loves you. He chose you because He loves you. And that is the deepest and ultimate basis of God's choosing Israel and Ruth in this passage and you. And He loves you. That's how the Scripture puts that forth. God loves us. And that loyal love unfolded in a a covenant confession in Ruth's heart. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. And so I ask you is that your confession this morning? Is God your God? Are his people your people? And I get it. Sometimes God's people are a little weird. I get it. But you got to take the whole package. you got to have God. you got to have His people. 1 John 4.19 tells us we love because He first loved us. It is the effectual love of God that first changes our hearts, that works in our hearts, that gets into those nooks and crannies, that makes us capable of love. And it is His example of love that reminds us again and again and again the need to love others. You know, our love for the Lord can be so fickle, can it? Some days you're on fire, you just love the Lord, you're, you're waking up and the first thing you're thinking about is Him and you're singing songs and you're reading Scripture and you might go through that for a week and everything seems great and then some days you could just be so cold. I don't want to get up and read Scripture. I don't want to think about God today. I, 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 I just don't. Some days you're thankful. Some days you grumble. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's love for you is steadfast. In the midst of your ups and downs this week, this month, this year... God's love for you did not fluctuate. His mercies were new each morning, each hour, and each minute of every single day. He is faithful. How about that as a confession? My God is faithful. His love for me is everlasting. And He is my God. And his people are my people. Let that be your confession. Even when you're cold. Even when you want to be grumpy. Let that be your confession. Because of his great love for you. A confession is not the end of Ruth's commitment to the Lord. So we want to see lastly a cost. There's a cost here. Loyal love unfolded in great cost. We can see here in the words of Ruth the reality of the cost. First of all, she left her land. You see that in the past. She's leaving her land. Her familiar surroundings in our day and time, it doesn't seem like much, does it? But for someone in that day, it was everything. Everything. It was everything to leave her land. It it was where she was connected. It it was a, you know, when you read, especially in America, it's so different. But when you read about the early, uh, even European settlers and and the lands in England and Scotland and Ireland and wherever else, um, the land is such a big deal. So she, she left those familiar surroundings. I was talking to a family not too long ago. Who um, um, moved across the, the, the country and, and um, began a job in another part and they had never done that before. And it was so difficult for them just to leave the surroundings that they had in, the, in, the, in, the, in that whole situation. I also read a story recently, it's amazing all these things. I read a story recently of a lady who lived in this this, uh, country in in Scotland where a guy was pastoring and he talked about doing her, her funeral. She was 98 years old. This is a little town in Scotland. And she had never, ever, ever been out of that town. It seems incredible to us, doesn't it? But not for some. Not for some. She left her land. The second thing that Ruth left was her people. She left her family of birth. It's difficult for us to understand this in modern times. Why? Because we've got Facebook. uh, We've got FaceTime. We've got Skype. We could send our kids to a school 13 hours away on a mountain. Or we can send them to boot camp, right? 14 hours away to Chicago. We can even send Caleb Fisher across the ocean on a jet plane. And he'll be over there and back in nine days, nine or ten days after he served in Japan. It's amazing, isn't it? But in her day and time, she left for good. Probably never, ever to see her family again. Thirdly, Ruth left the religion she had known all her life. And all the traditions that tied her into that and her, her family and her people. Again, we live in America, the the land of uh, freedom of religion, and that has precedence in our our thinking, especially if we've grown up here. However, if you were a Muslim and you lived in a Muslim country or Hindu and you lived in India or somewhere in that surrounding area, if you embrace Christianity, you're most often ostracized. I think I've told this story before, but I was taking seminary classes at CIU when I was working at, at a church in South Carolina. And there were several of us in the student center watching the opening ceremonies of the uh, Winter Olympics in Nagano in uh, 1998. And I was sitting close to this couple, and, and uh, the wife of this, of this couple, she was Japanese, and she was crying. She was just weeping. And I thought, is she missing her country? Well, you know, what is going on here? And, and so I asked her very carefully, I said, why are you crying? And she said, when I chose Christ, my family chose me dead. And I haven't seen them in years and I miss them. Ruth took on an uncertain future of a bitter widow in a land where she knew no one. She would enjoy few legal rights and given that Israelite Moabite rivalry that we have seen a couple weeks ago she would face possible ethnic prejudice to a very, very high degree. As one commentator said, she may have been as welcome as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. However, in this great cost, Ruth exemplifies Christ Jesus' words in Matthew 19, 29. Jesus said, and hear them, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. I wonder, how does your life reflect the cost of following Jesus? Jesus. In this land of the freedom of religion, how might your life reflect following Jesus in discipleship? In 1990, when I was such a young man, Steve Camp wrote a song uh, as he was had read the book by John MacArthur, "The Gospel, According to Jesus." And this book was a book that was against the easy believism of the day. It was against all the, the, um, the TV preachers, and you know, the, and it's still going on today, isn't it? As a matter of fact, what's so sad is those teachings have just gone overseas like crazy, leading so many people astray. Steve Camp wrote this song, and this is is the lyrics to it. He says, consider the cost of building a tower. It's a narrow, narrow way that you must come. For to do the will of the Father is to follow the Son. To love Him more than father or mother. You will love Him more than even your own flesh. To give all that you are for all that He is. This is the gospel according to Jesus. Now, I would like to make one correction to this, and I hope you caught it. To give all that you are for all that He is, is an outflow of the gospel of Jesus. Remember, John 4.19 tells us, we love because He first loved us. We reflect the cost of following Jesus unashamedly because of the great price He paid for us. But to love Him and to seek Him and to desire to pay whatever cost there is to follow Him is really the path that the Lord would have us to follow as we follow the gospel. Where is that reflected in your life? You know, to be honest with you, I think about that sometimes when I get up and I don't want to read the Scriptures. Or in my heart, I'm grumbling about another meeting that I have to attend for something I really don't care about. What is your cost? He paid a great price for us. So let us walk in His great love for us, no matter what the cost. No matter what the cost. As I think about this story, I've had in my mind all week, uh, and I wish Kim were here. It would be really great if Kim were here. But I've had in my mind all week, Samwise Gamgee running out to that beach. And Frodo's trying to slip away. And he runs out there and he says, Mr. Frodo, Mr. Frodo. And Frodo says, Sam, go back. I'm going to Mordor. And, and Sam goes, I know, and I'm going with you. And then he jumps in and he starts to swim out and he can't swim. And so Frodo has to come and he has to pull him out and he pulls him in a boat and he says, Mr. Frodo, I made a promise. Gandalf said, don't you leave him, Samwise Gamsey, Don't you leave him. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Ruth had that commitment to Naomi. And the Lord Jesus has that commitment to you. He will never leave you, He will never forsake you. He gave His Son for you at a great price. How can we not love him back in return with a royal love? Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto you. Give praise to your name for your great love and steadfast love to us. Let us pray.